0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is the Mesh.
1: This episode of the
0: Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828 828- to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community.
1: Welcome to the caregiver community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents, as well as caring for ourselves. I am Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents. In this podcast, we're talking about life after caregiving with Liz O'Donnell, the founder of Working Daughter. Both of Liz's parents were diagnosed with a terminal illness on the same day. Life quickly became incredibly intense for Liz as she tried to be a good mom to her children, partner for her husband, maintain her job and career, and provide care for both of her parents. Recognizing the challenges of trying to juggle so many different demands and the need to be in touch with others who understand, in 2015, Liz created Working Daughter a community for women who are balancing elder care, careers, kids, and life. Liz is a former family caregiver four times over and the author of Working Daughter, A Guide to Caring for Your Aging Parents While Earning a Living. Hi, Liz. We are delighted to have you with us today.
0: Oh, thank you, Francis. I'm happy to be
1: here. Great. Okay, let's kind of dive into this because so often in ACAP, we talk about what is happening now, you know, the midst of the caregiving, the caregiving journey. But the reality is there will come a time that we no longer are the caregiver. So let's kind of talk about that a bit. Why is thinking about life after caregiving during a caregiving so important? Well,
0: so many of us come to caregiving, especially elder care, without any warning or any forethought about it. You know, I grew up playing with baby dolls. I couldn't wait to, you know, I loved to pretend what it would be like to be a mom. I thought about it my whole life. I never thought about being an elder caregiver. Never occurred to me. It wasn't something I witnessed because uh, my grandparents didn't long, live long enough to, you know, need uh, care. So I didn't even see it growing up. So we come into this without any forethought or preparation. And one of the things I hear all the time from working daughters is, my life is ended or my life is on hold. And that's uh, a really dangerous proposition from, you know, so many places, not only from a place of joy, right? I mean, we don't want to put our happiness on hold because something terrible is happening to us. We don't want to put necessarily our careers on hold because then that is putting our, retirement planning, right, on hold and our finances on hold. Um, We can't really put a pause button on relationships and life. So learning how to live through caregiving while it's happening to you is so important. And I found thinking about life after caregiving was the tool that allowed me to do that. So by thinking about, okay, what is the minimum I need in place when this caregiving situation ends? You know, because as you mentioned, both of my parents diagnosed on the same day. So boom, life is out of control. And it was easy to see that everything was falling apart around me. But I knew that someday it would be over. There were terminal illnesses. Um, so what did I need to have in place when that ended? So that all of a sudden, I wasn't the person who needed caregiving right out of the gate. So I thought about Um, What are the parts of my life that I want to have, you know, intact when this is over? And my job was one of them. And so what's the minimum I need to do to show up for work and not get fired through this caregiving experience? So doing that gave me a framework for how to make decisions during caregiving. Do I go to the hospital? Do I go to the office? You know, and, and those are such stressful decisions that we make during caregiving and you're truly dealing with life or death so decision make you know you can have decision fatigue we can overthink things i found thinking about life after caregiving gave me yet another lens to help me make those decisions what's going to be important now what's going to be important in the future
1: and that feels like it's a really empowering perspective you know and one that we don't we don't often think about so i applaud you for for having that kind of foresight in doing
0: that. Yeah, one of the things we've come up with at Working Daughter on our website is the Caregiver Bill of Rights or the Working Daughter Bill of Rights. And the first thing it says is that nowhere is it written that your life is not equally important to the life of the person you care for. And I think that's the mindset we adopt when somebody is aging or ill is, you know, their life is the most important thing because it's in crisis or it's ending. But our lives are equally important along the way. So thinking about um, you know, right now, maybe it's all hands on deck. Some things are going to fall by the wayside. Obviously, I'm in crisis mode myself, but I still have a life to maintain. And I think that's the big challenge that I've been talking to a lot of people about lately is we're not just managing one life, we're managing two. And how do
1: you do that? And managing at least two. At least two. Good point. <laughs> Good
0: point. At least two. Yeah. There's that sandwich, that panini. Right? <laughs>
1: That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what are some ways to plan for life after caregiving? How how do you go about that besides just the headspace, the perspective? How do you actually do that?
0: Yeah, I work with women and, um, you know, I coach a lot of caregivers and we look at what are the most important buckets or areas of your life. You know, for me, it was, uh, work and work and finances were really you know, joined together. I was the main breadwinner for our family. In fact, I was the only breadwinner for our family when the caregiving crisis hit. So I couldn't lose my job. Um, I wanted to quit my job, but I couldn't lose my job. Um, I, my health—I could feel the stress of caregiving, and you know, we know that this is a very real phenomenon for caregivers: blood pressure, weight gain, you know, chronic stress. Um, so I wanted to think about my health. Again, so that the stress of caregiving didn't put me in chronic illness, so I would be close to, you know, the care recipient when it all ended and that I could, you know, go on and enjoy my life. Um, Relationships, you know, what what did I want to have in place relationship-wise? It's very hard to maintain social lives and friends, not just because of the unpredictability and the scheduling, but... um, you know, oftentimes you can't find other people who can relate to what you're going through either. So it's, it's hard to connect. Um, and what was the other one? I don't know. So, but So for example, so for me, it was work, say health and relationships. So I thought about, okay, what's the minimum I need to have in place when this caregiving stint ends? And for work, it was, I just focused on staying employed. It was all I could do. You know, I wasn't looking for promotions at that point. I wasn't taking on new assignments. I definitely didn't want to travel. But what was the minimum I had to do to stay employed? Because I knew I needed to, you know, have uh, money in the bank for my own long-term care at some point. Um, With health, it was really, you know, I, I started out during that crisis after that day of the two diagnoses. Um, I spent weeks drinking Diet Coke and eating Twizzlers as my main meal because that, you know, one, I needed all the caffeine I could get. Two, I was at hospitals half the time, so I was at vending machines. And three, there's something about chewing on those Twizzlers that just felt really satisfying. And I would get home at night, late at night after, you know, visiting the different hospitals and assisted livings and memory care. Uh, And I'd be so wired from the caffeine, I'd pour a glass of wine to, you know, and super healthy, right? Um, And you know, I think those six words, like, are you, or you need to take care of yourself can be the most annoying words that a caregiver hears, because we all know that. But you know, it's how And somebody said to me, well, why don't you start with hydration? So I started carrying a water bottle around, you know, the big, I think it was a camelback back then, um, and just adding water. And then I started keeping a pair of sneakers or trainers, depending on what part of the country you're from in the trunk of my car. And if Whoever I was visiting in the hospital or hospice was napping, I'd put them on and go for a walk and just so little things to make me feel like I wasn't destroying my health and actually were adding up to support my health. So long winded answer, I would say look at the most important areas of your life and to define, you know, what's the minimum you need to do.
1: But but I what I hear in what you're saying is one, that it's really that diet, nutrition is really important. Really it, important. And, water and and um, eating decently really if you can't do anything more than that that can make such a difference I mean, just, yeah yeah, yeah. I and it's
0: when, not like you don't have to like go to the store and get kale and quinoa and you know like go over the top i mean prepping a salad sometimes feels like a huge task when you're that overwhelmed right but but adding
1: water to your diet anyone can do that right that's right, simple, right. And as you're walking to and from the hospital room or the husband's room or whatever, yeah, that yeah make that much more intentional.
0: Right. Yeah,
1: right. I, I can remember when my mother was caring for her mother, and my grandmother was bedridden two weeks after my mother took an early retirement and all that kind of stuff, and it was horribly intense. Um, and I know you can relate to that. Um, but, but yeah, I remember the, the incredible toll that it took on her physically, emotionally, relationally, you know, all of that, but she had worked long enough that she was at a point that she could retire. And so that's vastly different Yeah, yeah. for so many who cannot retire, cannot stop work, have to keep going and yeah. feel so completely overwhelmed. Yeah. 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 So we talk about accepting acceptance of the situation. Yeah. Talk a little about that and what that does in yeah. terms of kind of shifting our perspective.
0: Well, a big part of caregiving that I don't think we talk about enough is the energy involved, the mental energy involved in caregiving. You know, we talk about the tasks, right, supporting people with their Um, activities of daily living, bathing and eating and those kinds of things. We talk, not enough either, but I think, but we know that there's a lot of medical care that family members, you know, untrained family members are providing. Uh, We talk about the errands, um, you know, the social aspects of supporting someone as they age or as they're ill, but all of that takes serious mental energy, right? And I think the attitude you bring to caregiving can be make or break, um, so there's actual research that shows that those of us who uh, take a caregiving role or approach a caregiving role, really accepting this is my role now, this is what I'm going to do, have much better outcomes um, you know, after the fact than those who are in resistance mode the whole time. And um, I know both sides of that coin because I spent the first few years of caregiving them even prior to the diagnoses, you know, when the caregiver creep, as I call it, was happening. My parents were needing more and more care. I'm the youngest daughter. I'm not the oldest daughter. You know, so I had a why me victim attitude because I was probably, you know, on paper, the busiest daughter, um, you know, really career focused. So why was it me? And I spent so much energy being annoyed and maybe angry about that. And when I finally accepted, you know, after these two diagnoses, after all hell starts to break loose and I'm sitting there one night with that glass of wine trying to decaffeinate, if that's a thing. And I remember just thinking to myself, Liz, the only way through this is through this. So just go, just go, stop. You, you cannot go over it, under it, around it. And it was in that moment that my energy shifted from this victim to more of almost like a heroine. I I started to tell myself the story, like, you got this. You can do this. No one can do this like you. And those sort of mind games that I played with myself and that story I told myself and that willingness to say, you know what, you're doing this. So stop whining about it and figure out how to make it happen was massive, massive, because it gave me, I mean, I still had the same, you know, huge task list. It was still an unpleasant experience, but um, I was willing to do it.
1: Right. Right. Well, and, and yeah, we can, so many people come into it. As you said at the beginning, it's a crisis. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't think about it until a crisis has occurred and we are in the midst of a crisis and we're trying to figure it out and we're flailing and, and our loved one is flailing and then it moves into a different kind of a different phase of it. Okay. This is what, what we're dealing with. This is where we are. And so many people, have such angst and anger toward the situation, not necessarily toward the loved one, right? But sometimes that is there also. But particularly family members, who you know are not, you know, they're not nearly as engaged as we are, and um, yeah, and the energy that that takes mm-hmm. is is mm-hmm. just huge. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I tell people that caregiving is a choice and sometimes people get upset with me, those who are in caregiving. Um, and they'll say, you think I chose you know, this to happen? And like you said, we're not no one would choose for whatever's happening to the person we're caring for to happen. Nobody wants to see somebody get ill or age or um, nobody wants to wake up to a crisis call, but we're choosing to step up. We could run away screaming. I mean, others do, right? We hear about it. We hear about the siblings all the time who've gone into a cave. So I think if we, if we think about this as something we choose, as something we're accepting, then we can give ourselves some of those, you know, virtual pats on the back. Like, Hey Liz, you're doing a good job, you know, because we don't feel like we're doing a good job, right? There's, there's more, Caregiving tasks to be done in a day than there are hours. So the, when people feel like they're failing at it, it's because there really isn't enough time in the day. But if we go to bed at night, and, you know, as we're brushing our teeth or something and look in the mirror, or when we wake up at 3 a.m. and, you know, those panic anxiety wake up calls that we get, um, if we say, you know what, I did this, I showed up, I did that, I chose that. I think that goes a long way because you might never hear from the person you're caring for that you're doing a good job. They're focused on their illness or their situation or they're just not, you know, demonstrative. So if
1: we can do that for ourselves, I think it gives us a real boost. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I absolutely agree that there are times that we have to do our own pat on the back. Yeah. Nobody else is going to do that. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they don't understand. Other siblings even don't understand. No idea. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and now
0: and, and in the middle of caregiving is no time to try to educate them. <laughs> that's <laughs> for sure. Just keep moving, <laughs> and leave them behind.
1: Yeah. yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. So, how can someone use their post caregiving plan to guide their caregiving experience beyond what what we've already talked about?
0: Yeah. Well, there's a no, there's a piece of research that we haven't talked about yet that I think really factors into thinking about post caregiving, and it's something I discovered while I was writing my book. Um, And it's called the caregiver's gain. And there are two professors who've done a lot of research on the impact of caregiving on family members. Um, And, you know, a lot of it is exactly what we know it to be negative, right? It's stress, it's weight gain, it's, you know, all of the things we've talked about, but they've also discovered in more recent research when comparing caregivers to non caregivers, that um, after the fact, caregivers have better cognitive skills, physical strength, um, Sense of well being and sense of connectedness. Um, and there was a fifth one, I forget, but it's all, oh, long, even better longevity than non caregivers. So there really is an upside to having been a caregiver. And I think if we know that, if we can spread the word about that more and people go through and into and through caregiving knowing that there's this gain, then they might just have a better experience. And I liken it to exercise, you know, I'm not the type who likes to get up out of bed and exercise. I like to get out of bed, get a cup of coffee and get back in bed, <laughs> you. But, you know, but every now and then I do get up and, you know, exercise, not because I enjoy the experience, but because I know I will be grateful for having exercised. You know, for the, I will feel better for having exercise and I will be better for having exercise. I think if we knew that about caregiving, then that framework is one of the ways we can, you know, think about our post-caregiving life as part of our caregiving experience, if that makes
1: sense. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we've known for a long time that people who even even with the enormous toll, the the um the, the kinds of impact that caregiving has on us, that the research shows that that even though there is that impact, the people who have been caregivers are, are glad that they did it, that mm-hmm. they don't look back on that and go, oh, what I you know, not that they don't look back and go, I wish I hadn't done that.
0: Right. Like, yeah. They Usually it, I wish I did it
1: better. Right. That's what you hear. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There may be some pieces of that that, that are. Uh, that there is some remorse about wishing that they could have done it better, but nobody comes or, or relatively no one comes out of the experience saying, I wish I hadn't done that. Right. And so what you are saying is just part of that, except that it now is more research or more, more identified how. Mm-hmm. It really does impact positively that life. I want yes. you to say those five pieces one more time. Okay. So, Let me see if I get right. so it's
0: definitely better cognitive skills, better physical strength, um, better sense of self-esteem, better sense of connectedness, connectedness and longevity.
1: And those are, those are characteristics that will go with us the rest of our lives and it. truly enhance the rest of our lives. Yeah. And hopefully we have a lot of years left after the caregiving.
0: Yeah. I'm starting to do a lot of work with people in their post-care, you know, a lot of coaching for people in their post-caregiving life too, because you, when you've been a caregiver, especially for a long time and you no longer a caregiver, you've lost this sense of purpose. And you might also be looking at those major areas of your life and trying to figure out how to reboot them. Right. Um, and I find these same principles and the same framework um, really helps in the post caregiving life to acceptance, for example, you know, so with for me, um, I stayed employed barely, um, but I lost a lot of credibility and a lot of influence in my job. And I was used to being, you know, a star at work. And it was hard to show up, you know, having kind of been bumped to the corner. Um, And so one of those uh, frameworks that I've had to, you know, one of my favorite phrases is, okay, so what now what? Okay, so so this is what it is. Now what do I do next, right? And I, that wasn't something I had to do during caregiving. Like, oh, I was supposed to go to the big meeting and now my dad's in the ER. So what? Now what? You know, and then you come back to work and you've lost that influence or, you know, you've lost years of earnings or whatever. And like, okay, so what? Now what? So those same post-caregiving strategies that you use during caregiving really help you rebuild post-caregiving. Uh,
1: yeah, you know, when you were talking about those, and the, when you were talking about that list at the beginning, I was thinking, well, of course, because caregivers are juggling so many different things. They are having mm-hmm. to be really, really excellent task managers. And right. they are literally running out the door and juggling other things. And And there's such a physical part of, of caregiving and certainly the mental part. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, of course, it's a little bit like, Um, people talking about women who have have raised children and then coming back into the workforce, those life skills are applicable. They they really are. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If only employers understood that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there there is
0: that part of it. Working on that.
1: Yeah. 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 Liz, this is some great information. Is there anything else that comes to your mind that we maybe haven't touched on that would be good just to, just to make sure people know. There's
0: another trick that I used um, when I was thinking about, you know, after I put together my sort of post caregiving plan. And I think, I think the credit goes to Susie Welsh um, who was married to Jack Welsh. uh, And it's thinking about, will this matter in five minutes, in five months and in five years, so when you're when you're faced with, you know, like go to the ER or go to the important meeting, right? Go to the kids school play or go to the assisted living, you know, think about will this matter in five, you know, what will I be thinking about in five minutes, in five months, in five years. So I like that framework for the post caregiving thought process too.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And to some extent, to some extent even during the Oh, I mean like the you, you put together your post caregiving
0: plan during caregiving and then right. you think about yeah with that framework in mind during caregiving you think about okay right. right i know what matters now i know what matters then it just gives you a second lens it to does. think about everything though
1: it does and yeah. so often we need that because yeah. it's so easy just to get completely concerned completely by by caregiving. yeah yeah absolutely absolutely Liz, this has been great. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for sharing such great information, and particularly about a part of caregiving that so often we just don't even think about. So yeah. thank you, thank you for helping us think about that. Um, the day definitely comes that we are no longer caregivers, you know, or not at least not caregivers for that loved that loved one, that yeah. the same in the same way. Yeah. 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 So th- and I think you can
0: feel, you know, people feel guilty thinking about
1: when it ends, but it's its a
0: healthy thought process.
1: It is. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you for helping us think think about that and, and anticipate a little more. To you, our listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope this podcast has been helpful to you and that you will share it with others you believe may, be, may benefit from it. And we certainly want to thank Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina. They are the sponsor of this podcast and all of our podcasts. And we are very grateful to them. This program is part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our caregiver caregiver community podcasts on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts. You will also find our podcast on our website, www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are other topics you would like for us to address, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of our age, our background, our education, or career, or anything else, when it's our mother, our father, our loved one, who needs the help, caring for and advocating for that person becomes inc- incredibly personal and extremely important and urgent. So please care well for, you, for your loved ones. But also, as Liz has just been talking about, please also remember to take care of you. Liz O'Donnell with Working Daughters, thank you so very much for being part of our podcast. Thank you. And thank you to you all. Stay well, bye for
0: now. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube.